0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 7th, 2022. This week, Peacock has ideas about making the viewing experience worse. I'm Kim Hollis, thinking of changing my nickname to Sniffles. (laughs) (laughs) Also, also, Tim Brighty, writer, gamer, and cautiously excited Mets fan.
1: Is this what it's like to have a good team and confident ownership? Because this is weird.
0: Oh, Mets fans crack us up. I mean, I
2: can't tell you what it's like to have competent ownership, but I can tell you what it's like to have a
0: championship baseball team. <laughs> Me too. Hey. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and Entertainment Media Analyst, who thinks we'll all look at April and go, Remember that month when the Mets were winning? Hi, Tim. <laughs> Hi. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Buriel, who wants everyone to shut up. He's watching playoff hockey.
3: What's this baseball talk anyway?
0: (laughs) (laughs) In our rapid fire this week, streamers are starting to adjust to the new normal. Paramount has announced their expansion plans overseas. Peacock's got new ways of showing you ads. And... HBO Max is excited to tell you that they kept the budget of every episode of their Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, to under $20 million.
2: Okay. Each 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 oh boy okay you all can say whatever you want about paramount plus and hbo max i have some venting to do about peacock first okay y'all think i've been hard on peacock in the past wait until you hear this because peacock's new thing is a crime against nature peacock has just invented a new ad service wherein instead of showing you the picture on the screen they're going to cut it and reduce the four corners of the screen making it a small rectangular box so that they can stick advertising around the edges because Peacock doesn't give a damn about any of its customers, which is why Peacock has low subscription rates. Peacock is only thinking about how to monetize and how to get advertising. They have missed that core Homer Simpson thing from Scarface that first you have to get the sugar before you get the power. Peacock's big idea is to sell all the advertisers rather than try and get customers. They're so stupid.
3: I think we need to not overreact about the new Peacock ad formats.
2: You're not my overreaction supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) On the one hand,
3: we've been struggling to think of a way in which you can use ads on a streaming service where the programming is not built in such a way that it can accommodate ads. Traditional television programming has these kinds of cliffhangers right before every commercial break. So they can cut, put in an ad, and then resume after the ad is over. And shows on streamers like Netflix aren't necessarily built that way. So maybe reframing the show so that there is a little bit of an advertisement around the frame is the way they're going to do it. I'm not saying that is a good thing. I'm saying that is one way where you can continue Continue watching your show while also them putting ads on the show.
2: And I'm saying that way breaks the seventh seal.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But I also have to point out that we have already seen this type of advertisement. This is not revolutionary. We have seen advertisement like this, say, during uh, sporting events, particularly, say, when they go to a timeout where they resize the program to a corner of the screen and then in the other corner of the screen there's a regular television commercial that plays. That is reframing. That is one way they can do this. And a different way that we have actually seen this in the past is in the end credits role of a television show or or movie where they resize those credits and they roll them really fast because nobody's reading them and they play an ad simultaneous to that. So these are ways they can do that. I think if they started really literally resizing the actual Content consumers would would rebel just like I feel David is is rebelling right now. I think that is maybe one step too far, and they're at least initially not going to go all in on something as absurd as that.
2: Five words: a bomb a nation. There is, they
3: have threatened, if you will, a different ad format, which is a kind of a bug on the screen related to a product placement on uh, in the content you're watching. And so, again, the immediate reaction is, oh, what, I'm watching an episode of Cobra Kai and someone drinks a Pepsi. And now there's a little Pepsi logo that comes up on the screen and this QR code and I can get a coupon for a Pepsi. And again, that is the extreme. That is probably not what you're going to see. In fact, in the article I read, the Peacock executive that's uh, looking at this suggested it'd be something more like you're watching someone on the red carpet and there's a QR code and that QR code would take you to a site that would allow you to shop for the clothing you're seeing on the red carpet, which again, not revolutionary. I've read and I've heard advertisers talk about this type of advertisement for years for Peacock to come out and say, well, look at these revolutionary things that we're going to be doing with advertising. This is not new to me. I've heard you guys talk about this type of stuff before. What they're feeling is revolutionary now is that it's going to be hyper-targeted. Television watching has been passive for years, but now that you're watching on streaming, they know exactly who you are. You have to sign in. They know your name and they know that you like this type of soft drink instead of that type of soft drink. You wear these types of shoes instead of those types of shoes. Yes, I can see that. I can see that hyper-targeted kind of content Content showing up on the screen, but not necessarily in the most intrusive ways that right now we are fearing. I can see it happening, but again, they've been trying this type of stuff for years and they have yet to make it work, but they're going to tilt to that windmill again and they're going to keep doing it until it works.
2: Boycott Peacock. I do have to say that for what it, for what it's
3: worth, with all these streamers saying that advertisement is where it's at. AMC Networks had their uh, their own quarterly earnings report last week, and the head of AMC Networks said, that's great, guys, but we've got like four streaming services and we're not putting ads on any of them yet, but we do reserve the right to start putting ads on them at some point in the future if we so choose, which I guess is a better way of doing it than, say, Netflix, where for years they stood at the top of the pyramid laughing at everybody saying, oh, look look at all these people with ads. We're never going to do ads. And and now they sheepishly have to eat their words and say, I guess we can do ads too. Yeah. AMC networks is at this point that I feel like the only streaming service that's not dabbling with a uh, ad supported content. I invite any of our listeners to tell me the name of even one of the four streaming services on AMC networks. They have 9 million subscribers. Can you tell me one of their streaming services?
0: C- I mean, I can, <laughs> but you know, we talk about this weekly. Sure.
3: Put a comment in the, uh, in, the in the
0: comments box underneath the... Uh, wait,
2: no, that's YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so Cam is an advertiser. I'm curious to th- hear what you think of the shrunk screen.
0: I have mixed feelings. I, I will say this. I appreciate innovative efforts at trying to deliver advertising. I don't appreciate very obtrusive advertising. I don't like when it's in your face and interferes with your content and never have. So while I appreciate what they're trying to do, I don't like the way they're going about it.
3: If I can touch on a couple of the other things we brought up earlier, there's a lot of hand-wringing and uncertainty right now in streaming. There's some optimism that with the crisis at Netflix if we can really truly call it a crisis, they're actually going to plow more money into productions, especially as our competitors continue to nip at their heels and take back content that's been streaming on Netflix for years. Certainly a consumer doesn't want to hear that Netflix will be pulling back on original content. That's not how you bring in more subscribers, but Netflix does need to seriously look at how they're going to start backfilling a lot of their catalog that is not Netflix originals. Paramount Plus is one of those streaming services that's nipping out the heels of Netflix. As streamers expand globally, where Netflix has largely had the playground to themselves historically, this competition starts to present an existential threat to Netflix you'll remember that just before the start of the last season of Star Trek Discovery, Paramount Plus actually pulled the show from Netflix where it airs everywhere around the world except in the US. The catch catch at the time, of course, is that Paramount Plus wasn't available anywhere around the world except in the United States. And so you got a lot of Star Trek fans that were very upset when Star Trek Discovery got pulled from Netflix and just became unavailable anywhere that Star Trek content is is the gateway drug for Paramount Plus. All those fans that uh, flocked to Twitter to complain about how hey, now I can't watch Star Trek Discovery, they are the early adopters that are going to subscribe to Paramount Plus in places around the world like the UK when that service becomes available. Then the question simply becomes, do they also stay subscribed to Netflix or do they unsubscribe? It's it's going to be an interesting few quarters Now, as these streaming services continue to expand, does their expansion take away subscribers from Netflix or is there enough out there for everyone to
2: continue to grow? And the other thing I want to add here, just so that we don't, you know, just gloss over it, the new people in charge of HBO Max, the Discovery people are, I swear to God, bragging about the fact that they're cutting corners all over the place on House of the Dragon. And let me tell you, for an eight-episode season, $160 million is a drop in the bucket compared to how much money HBO Max can gain in revenue by having a killer show that gets people addicted just the way that Game of Thrones did. But because they have people in charge who are being counters, who Only look at the bottom line, not how they reach the bottom line. You have idiotic stuff like this where they're coming across saying, look how great it is that we're the cheapest jerks on the planet. It's not good. It's the opposite of good. And what you're doing is you're reinforcing every stereotype people have about the way you're going to run this company into the ground. I wonder if
3: an episode of Game of Thrones ever cost $20 million to film. And yet... All I'm taking away from this recent announcement is that House of the Dragon is bargain Game of Thrones.
2: For the record, Game of Thrones uh, allegedly cost $15 million an episode for its final two seasons. And that was a negotiation they had in place before the filming began on those, which means that it would not surprise me if due to cost overruns, it actually wound up in the same range. And the difference is they made it sound like they were spending a lot rather than they were cutting corners. That's how you do it when you're good at this. Yep. You see,
3: again, my takeaway is when someone comes around and says, look, we've kept it to under this much money, it doesn't matter what that dollar sign is. It simply sounds like you're trying to cut corners. And as it turns out, they're actually spending more money on these episodes than on Game of Thrones,
2: but it doesn't sound that way. Also, I kind of feel the need to say I'm in a great mood this week. It's not like I'm just like grumpy about everything. It's just what Peacock and Discovery are doing makes me want to throw things because there's an obvious conclusion when you demonstrate these business practices, and it's not a good one.
0: There's also some mergers and acquisition news this week, as Roku has indicated, they would team up with private equity firm Apollo Global to make a bid for a stake in Stars, the cable and streaming service from Lionsgate.
3: Now, having been the one who put this story in our show notes, I'm also going to say that this is a nothing story. A company is going to make a bid for a streaming service that almost nobody watches.
2: What I do take from this is Roku is probably putting feelers out there that if stars ever goes on the market, Roku would like to buy them, which is not the worst fit. I mean, I, I think we all agree that it'd be better with a bigger service, but Roku has a lot of cash on hand and they do have a growing desire to add content. And stars, stars has always had great content.
3: I suppose this speaks more about what Roku is than really what Stars is. Lionsgate has indicated that they might be interested in selling their cable and streaming service, Stars. What we're seeing here is that Roku, while we haven't talked about it nearly as much, Roku has taken quite a hit in the last few months as well. Their stock price is down. They have been dabbling ever so lightly into the whole streaming business, especially their their biggest moves, of course, were in picking up the Quibi content. So now anytime you fire up your Roku, you're going to see an ad saying that there's this new show with this famous person that you've never heard of. And when you play it, it's like seven minutes. of of an episode of something. It's it's the old Quibi stuff. But Roku needs to be pivoting a lot faster towards being a streaming service and not only a set-top box or they're going to be left behind because now everybody's starting to get into the whole set-top box business. We talked about it last week where Comcast is trying to expand their foothold. I have a very firm belief that after four or five iterations, Google has finally figured out Android TV and that they're starting to make great inroads into the Roku market and and really pushing Roku out of the way there. The business here when it comes to streaming is no longer the set-top box. It's almost irrelevant which box you're using because you can get the same apps on any box. It's going to be a lot more uh, the streaming service itself and what content is on that streaming service. And I'd say Stars right now is the low-hanging fruit. It is. It's got the for sale sign on it. So rather than fishing around for or for a, a, somebody else's company that may not want to sell, go for the one that you know is for sale. Now, whether Roku is going to buy 100% of stars or if they're just looking to buy a fraction of it is a different matter. But once Roku gets their claws into it, they're the most likely candidate to buy eventually buy out the whole company so yeah sure go for stars see how that goes but uh, but if that one falls apart know that right now as a company roku has enough resources to maybe buy themselves a different streaming service uh, maybe even amc networks which also has not ruled out the possibility of selling itself to somebody else
0: And lastly, in Sinclair news, Randy Freer, who formerly headed up Fox Sports and Hulu, has been tasked with turning around Sinclair's regional sports subsidiary, Diamond Sports.
2: Go with God, my child. You know when they should have done this? A
3: year ago, when they rebranded the company as Diamond Sports and the streaming service as Bally Sports. Now, now you bring in someone to steer the ship. The fact that they hired someone to, quote unquote, turn things around is an acknowledgement that things need fixing. But really, we'll see if Freer can do anything Uh, with the company so deeply in debt and so many investors having taken a stake in it, this just might be an untenable position. He, He may be pulled in so many different ways. And honestly, I don't know this Freer guy. I don't know how good he is. But even if he's the best, he just might not be able to do it you
2: I mean, on top of everything else, we should acknowledge the fact that they've just created a board. It's the Simpsons joke of the Blue Ribbon Committee, where it's not like they've handed him all the power. Uh, Sinclair's CEO, who has proven he's incompetent time and time again, is also on this board. There's other people involved. So it's not a one-person operation. And all of this is just a distraction away from what really hurts Sinclair, which is that on their earnings report, even after they tried all kinds of accounting chicanery, their revenue dropped nearly 15% to 1% point two nine billion as a reminder that is three months worth of revenue so over a year we're talking about five billion in revenue for a company that has eight billion in debt it is so bad they're a titanic that has hit several icebergs and they're just really really doing everything they can to survive long enough to where they think gambling is going to save them but it's not
3: I would argue that the most likely scenario is that the whole thing is going to collapse under the immense amount of debt that they have. And that a lot of these stakeholders in Diamond Sports, including who's one of the stakeholders in this company, David? Byron Allen, baby. That's right. Byron Allen, he is waiting. He is just waiting, presumably. He's just waiting for everything to fall apart so he can just swoop in and then buy everything up at fire sale prices. Yeah. The most likely scenario here is that Sinclair as a whole collapses and everything goes into bankruptcy and somebody buys it out of bankruptcy. I hope Freer can do something with this, but it just seems like this is this is a Hail Mary.
2: And I also want to say, because you might've heard this reported a different way. And if You did, there is a logical explanation for it. Sinclair actually reported profits. A non-cash gain of $3.4 billion. How did they earn $3.4 billion when they had $1.4 billion in revenue? It's an accounting trick. It is a very clever accounting trick. And in fact, they use multiple ones. They also claim they earned $2.59 billion. If you look at the spreadsheets for this, it, it, it will blow your mind. What Sinclair actually did was they deconsolidated, that's the word they're using, deconsolidated their local sports segment, which means They actually took their Bally Sports acquisitions off their financial statements to make it look like they're not drowning. And in the process, they created the Diamond Subsidiary, which is just going to be where they hide all their losses.
0: All right. Before we go into the ratings, I think we probably need to talk about the box office just a little bit.
1: Um, Why? What what happened?
0: Oh, nothing. Never mind. I forgot.
1: Yeah. It depends uh... on
2: which universe you were in. Oh, hey,
1: I see what you did there. Yes, because here is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, your big movie in theaters this weekend. And we have a Thursday preview number of 36 million. That's that's good. And they're
2: actually as as of right now, they're already reporting a Friday number that they say is going to be at least 85 million. And that would give it probably close to 200 million for the weekend. Somewhere in that range. Right now, it would be one of the 10 biggest single-day openings ever. Probably, I guess, eight. <laughs> Depending on what happens with it versus Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, which did just under 90 million, mm-hmm. so uh, the on the flip side, it needs to beat Age of Ultron, which did 84.4 million. So we're kind of right in that range, and yeah, I, I think at least 180. Does that sound right to you, Tim? Yeah, I can see that.
1: It was not surprising. It's going to make the the leap. This is the MCU people were waiting for, I guess, after Spider Man, which is in which you know, is the uh Sony universe. Sony, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. exactly. The, yeah, the Sony one. Here's here's your, your Disney MCU proper uh after all that nonsense with, you know, Eternals and shang chi and all those, you know, who cares about that? We wanted Doctor Strange <laughs> and you know, phase four or five you know whatever we're in now. Uh and yeah, there's just just some anticipation for this. And it's it's going to blow the doors off of off of everything, and including, you know, things like oh, the Batman and all the other, you know, even the original films in, in theaters just just two weeks ago. We had three new releases, all of which were original movies, and people were like, "Please go see movies before theaters just become nothing but you know sequels and Marvel movies, and you know, and only you know the animated movie did okay, the bad guys, but you know there was you know the Northman didn't do great, and the unbearable weight of massive talent is is a little too you know too high concept for audiences, unfortunately. But yeah, we got Doctor Strange, and yeah, that's that's gonna gonna crush everything.
2: As a reminder, the Batman did 134 million on opening weekend, so we're probably looking at at least 45 million more possibly as much as you know 65 million more so i I don't see how you could do anything here but think this is a phenomenal result
1: oh yeah we we only have a limited data to go off of at this point we can talk about it more next week when we have that that number but yeah this is this is going to be this is something theaters have been waiting for and for quite some time
2: and Tim, I know that I was uh, talking to you about this last night. It was never going to beat No Way Home's 582 million worldwide. Oh no, no, no! Yeah,
1: yeah. that's that. That was just the most ridiculous aberration slash outlier ever. It's Spider Man. It was good, and, and I guess there there is a fact the fact that it's not playing in certain markets.
2: Right. Couldn't get the Chinese release, which is huge. Obviously still not playing in Russia for reasons we don't want to get into. And then it's not playing in Saudi Arabia because there is a 20 second segment that uh, one of the characters has two mommies and apparently Saudi Arabians can't actually process that. So,
1: but, it's, but it's playing in Florida.
2: Okay. (laughs) Anyway, but you know, it is going to well and truly torch the Batman's 251 million worldwide. Oh, yeah. Tim, at this point. Has anything happened at the box office now that we're relatively back to normal that goes against anything we said during the pandemic? Or do you still think it's just going to be the haves and have nots from now on? Yeah. uh,
1: As I was just saying, it's the playground of Disney and the big franchises, essentially. Like, you know, know, outside of, like you said, you know, the the Batman is around 370 million, you know, and here's even Sonic the Hedgehog 2, 163 million. But if you're not, uh, if you're something original, as I was just just mentioning, you know, you're you're doomed. Even something like, you know, and and you still have to put out a quality movie or not offend people because, you know, even something like Fantastic Beasts is still only at eighty two million. But yeah, this is this this is you're either you're Marvel or you're not or you're nothing, and it, and it it, it sucks.
2: <laughs> I actually hope they kind of put that sign out outside their production offices. <laughs> <laughs> We're Marvel. You're nothing. <laughs> nothing.
1: <laughs> I I mean, you can you can modify it to Disney too, because it's it, it it's their playground at this point, and it's it's depressing. We said repeatedly during the deep, you know, we were more entrenched in the in the pandemic that this is where theaters were headed, and the pandemic just accelerated it. But just just to see it happen, even as we're theoretically, you know, towards the the end of it, it's not fun.
2: So Disney's going to report our earnings next week, but I'm curious, if you could look ahead to the future 50 days, do you think that this debuts on digital first, or do you think it goes straight to Disney Plus?
1: They'll put it, it would be on
2: Disney Plus first. Okay. Interesting. So some people believe that they're going to try and reset uh, reset the market with a multi-phase thing wherein, you know, they go back to the old. First, it's available for sale and then it's available for rental. And then after that, it goes to streaming. And you just think that at this point, Disney Plus subscriber numbers outweigh all of the potential other revenue, right?
1: Yeah, I, I have to think like... Buying something on, you know, buying the, the digital media, essentially, or having, you know, having it in your digital you know, locker of, of, of movies is almost not a concept at this point. And it's something not something Disney's going to do. They're just be like, Nope, you're going to watch it on uh, on Disney plus if you if you want to watch it on, on streaming.
0: All right, let's go ahead and talk about the ratings then. Sure, why not? We have the Nielsen
1: streaming ratings for Monday, April 4th to Sunday, April 10th, 2022. And the top show of the week still is Bridgerton, down to 1.6 billion minutes from, from its height last week after its first week of availability. Uh, feels like it's maybe burning out a little quicker than the the, the first season did. Maybe because it's just
3: not as uh, compelling or as much of a surprise this time. Yeah, it just doesn't seem all that viral this year. But honestly, this these are not numbers to laugh at regardless.
1: Oh, no, that's still an
3: excellent number.
2: And it is fair to wonder whether it was more of a one-time thing anyway. And just by getting a second season out of it, that's done very well. They've accomplished something.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't think when Bridgerton first debuted, I don't think anyone thought that that was going to be such a massive breakout hit you know, I mean, you know, Sh- Shonda Rhimes can do no wrong, but to to, the, to have it have that level was was really a surprise.
2: They're going to throw a lot of money at Regé Jean Page to get him back. For yeah, for season,
1: season three. three. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that.
0: Heck yeah, they are.
1: <laughs> uh, we do have something new and weird in second. This is the ultimatum, marry or move on. 838 million minutes for eight episodes.
0: Oh, that just makes me sad for humanity. And,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> but it does allow me
2: to wish Kim a happy anniversary this week. Aw,
0: thank you. And happy anniversary to you.
2: <laughs> but we all know she should have moved on.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, here's... It's just another reality show. I guess we begrudgingly talked about it on what's new for, for that week. Uh, but yeah, it was probably not expensive to make and it is having a probably decent, you know, return on investment for, for Netflix. So just, we're going to get a whole bunch more of these as time goes on. I'm sure. All right. So in happier news in third, it's Moon Knight from Disney plus up to two episodes, 608 million minutes. So yeah, that first episode hooked a bunch of people or they just waited for the second one to be available. Not, not sure yet, but yeah, this is going to be a big one over the next couple episodes. I think.
2: Yep. We should say right now that we have now seen the end of Moon Knight, and if you're watching this series for explanations, um, I guess technically we got them. I I don't know.
1: Okay, uh, and then some stuff we've seen before from Netflix, The Last Kingdom still holding on 487 million minutes in fourth, Inventing Anna 339 million minutes in fifth, Is It Cake 338 million minutes, uh, Get Organized with the Home Edit in hundred million minutes.
2: You called that, by the way, and I still say it's the stupidest title imaginable.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's if you don't know what the home edit is, you, you, it, it makes no sense. But yeah, there's apparently a thing called the home edit and this is their show. Uh, but here's something new in 8th, The Outlaws. This is actually from Amazon Prime, 240 million minutes for six episodes. This is a BBC series that premiered last year and then showed up on Amazon.
3: Yeah, this is that show from uh, Stephen Merchant, uh, which also includes uh, Christopher Walken in the cast. Uh, it got a lot of rave reviews back when it uh, originally aired on the BBC, and in fact, uh, when we announced it on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago, my first reaction was, "Wait, hasn't this already been streaming?" Uh, because so many of our friends had been talking about it that I just assumed it had been streaming in the US, but maybe they'd been watching it some other way. Yeah, I'm not surprised. This this show got a lot of buzz, and here's the consequences of that.
2: And as we air this, they have already today released the images from the second season, and they have gone super viral so i feel like this one is only now starting to take hold in the public consciousness it kind of feels like we're at the start of another peaky blinders
1: and we wrap up originals this week with the dropout in ninth up to 232 million minutes now with the eight episode season complete so yes a small bump as i think we we predicted last week but not you know, the the breakout that it was going to happen. It always seems to happen with the shows that release weekly that there'll be a couple, a small bump once the season is complete. But then it will probably we won't see the end after this because it's, it's not a great number and it's, you know, it's already ninth on, on, on the list. And 10th, the Ozark continues to hang on, refuses to leave the charts, 227 million minutes, even though we're a few more weeks away from the second season or second half of the final season to hit Netflix and once again, shoot it back up the chart.
2: If
3: Ozark can hold on, it may hold a record for the longest time. Most weeks. Yeah, the most the weeks ten. in a row on in the top on, ten for originals. On originals, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah we, we should go back and try to track that. If only I had more time. Right.
3: Uh, so,
1: over in movies, once again, led by Encanto. Uh, 611 million minutes, so a, a more mortal number for the Disney Plus series that w- will probably set the record for most weeks on the movies chart. <laughs> But right behind it, Turning Red, 564 million minutes. So still hanging on uh, about a month after its release.
2: That's just a lovely double feature right there. Isn't that great?
3: Should yep. we go for a triple feature? What's at number three, Tim?
1: Uh Shrek Forever After from Netflix, three hundred twenty-three million minutes. Yeah. <laughs> now the only Shrek movie on Netflix. Remember when the, the other first <laughs> the, the first two showed up on the ratings, and we were like, oh, because they they were they were somewhere else, and then they showed up on Netflix in in, in March. Yeah, they, uh, apparently on May first, they left Netflix and went back to Peacock.
3: I that, can't explain. Yeah. What, what's going on here?
1: Uh so bizarre! I have no idea where the third one is either. You, you, that one doesn't, doesn't seem to be anywhere. Um, but yeah, just the the licensing nightmare that is some of these movies is is hilarious and, and mind boggling.
2: Some of the other studios seem to be getting like their houses in order, and then there's Peacock, who just doesn't care. I'm mean, yeah. <laughs> literally making it worse, not better.
3: How do you license? shrek and shrek 2 to another streaming service but only for 30 days was that did someone make a mistake like we didn't mean to do that
1: this was some other guy that we fired and uh, we didn't realize it existed oh boy <laughs> uh speaking of mind-boggling sing 2 is still here in fourth 226 million minutes and i'm still convinced that this is pvod numbers premium video on demand meaning people are paying to to watch it not 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 just have a subscription to Amazon Prime. It's the only yeah. explanation I have. it It is stunning that it's here and that we've never really seen this happen before, but it is exactly the type of movie that would make this list.
2: We had a 25-minute conversation last week that didn't make the final cut because we were so confused by the presence of Sing 2. And we've looked into this more since then, and we can't explain it because it is not free to stream anywhere, which means either, one, it's the wrong title, two it's the wrong thing. Or three, they are actually showing pay numbers rather than free streaming numbers. And that's an entirely different ball of wax if it's that. So this is one of the biggest mysteries we've had on Nielsen.
3: Yeah. And I do want to say about PVOD titles is that I do happen to track personally the top selling PVOD titles simply because I'm always looking for those bargains out there so I can buy movies and add them to my digital collection. And there are other, I mean, Sing 2 unquestionably is a very successful PVOD title, premium video on demand title, but it is not the only one. There are other titles like Uncharted, Spider-Man No Way Home, Moonfall, Ambulance. All these movies do very well on premium video on demand. And why would only one of those titles have made it onto these charts if they happen to be folded into these ratings as they are? I believe ultimately Netflix is simply making a mistake when they compile these charts and don't intend to be including this title here. Or as David said, it's actually a separate movie that is a different title or even Sing One. But as previously discussed, no, Sing One's not on streaming anywhere either.
1: Sing Sing One is also on Amazon if you if you pay for it. Yeah. So you got me, please, Nielsen. If you're listening, help us <laughs> figure this out. But again, will- I'm leaning towards it is, and it's just the way their extrapolation methods work is is that the, the it's it's landing on here somehow.
3: Well, Tim, at least this was the only nonsense title on this list, I hope. Uh please hold.
1: all right uh we do have something else from amazon in fifth all the old knives 208 million minutes oh chris pine fanny newton Lawrence fishburne okay we definitely talked about that didn't we
2: this is what we were making fun of because it made us wonder who chris pine's agent was
1: (laughs) uh six we have the bubble uh 196 million minutes for the terrible covid related comedy from judd apatow uh, seven, The Adam Project. Seen that one for a while. 191 million minutes. And then in eighth, Catch and Release. Yes, this is the 2006 romantic comedy starring Jennifer Garner, Timothy Oliphant.
0: <laughs> sure, why not?
1: Uh, okay, I, you know what? This, this one actually came back to Netflix on April 1st. I did find find that list, so we'll excuse it. There is, however, no excuse for the movie in ninth, also at 185 million minutes. That is without a paddle. The
2: Legitimately no. one of the worst movies I've seen in my entire
0: life. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, no. Uh, people, that, stop. This, no. This
1: did not apparently return to Netflix on April 1st, like catch and release. So why did you waste all that time watching this, people? Uh, and we wrap up with uh, movies with Moana. Once again, giving the Lynn manuel Miranda bookends on the movies chart, 177 million minutes for that Berlin. one. Yay. So, in Acquired, it is actually eight shows that we've seen before, uh, but we do have a, a new show that we've not seen on this list at the top. And this one actually does make sense. It is Better Call Saul, 915 million minutes for 50 episodes. This is a whole bunch of people getting ready for the new season. Yes. That
2: is- all the people discovering lalo salamanca for the first time and going who the hell is this guy he's incredible
1: <laughs> <laughs> and terrifying I, I, yeah i don't know if these if if it was already on netflix before or the previous season showed up i can't quite tell just yet, but... Uh,
2: Barely the- 100% certain. We have, folks, we haven't made this public yet. We actually have a database of all this information. We just haven't made it publicly facing yet because we're buying a house right now and we haven't had time to fill in the blanks enough. But uh, I am relatively certain that Better Call Saul has made the top 10 before, but not at this level.
1: Not to, Yeah, if, definitely not this number. I would remember this number.
2: Isn't this a case of history repeating itself with the uh, Breaking Bad phenomena? Yeah, uh,
1: I think so. There was definitely at least one other show where in anticipation of the new season showing up on cable, the existing seasons on streaming all of a sudden, you know, jump to the top of the acquired chart. And it might, yeah, it might have been Breaking Bad or it was at least one other show that uh, I can't recall off the top of my head. But yeah, this is this is people getting ready for the, the, the sixth season, which... You know, doesn't doesn't premiere for another week beyond these ratings. On um, April eighteenth is when the season began,
2: and it's already been so good. <laughs> we
1: might see this one for uh, for quite a few weeks, hanging on, uh, hanging on.
2: Yeah, let me just make a plea to our our listeners: if your choices are without a paddle and better call Saul, there is a right <laughs> answer and a wrong answer. Okay. <laughs>
1: Uh, there is one other show that we've not seen before, or at least not, not frequently. And then in six, this is Queen of the South, 476 million minutes for 62 episodes. This is a USA series, right?
2: Yeah. So I actually have watched parts of this. It's got Alice Braga, who I've always really liked. And there was actually a, a female rapper who they brought on for season either two or three specifically because they liked her music so much and they kind of made her a new heavy on the show. This is very, very good serial television. I kind of faded away and got distracted by other things, but uh, I can definitely understand why it's doing so well. It's basically Lady Scarface and it works.
1: It lasted five seasons. The final one of 10 episodes ran from April last year to June last year. So I'm going to guess it showed up, you know, maybe at the start of April. Actually, it would kind of make sense for it to be a year after its original broadcast. We, I don't have the exact date as to when it arrived, but that makes makes sense for it to, to, sh- to show up here. And yeah, if it's, you know, one of those USA shows that, you know, in the last decade where they were just able to, to, to pump out some very watchable hit shows.
2: We're actually going to define ourselves as a generation by whether or not we remember a time when USA Network had all the best programming.
1: Right. Remember that several year span where you the things like, you know, Psych and Monk and, and, and whatnot. What other shows did you guys enjoy on USA?
2: uh royal pains was a personal oh yeah okay i uh
1: i remember that that was uh yeah the first season was good i remember watching that and then it wasn't able to stick with it but uh i do remember watching that that for the first season
2: so the interesting thing about all of it is that this kind of ties threads together bonnie hammer was the executive in charge of usa network during its you know real high point era and she is now part of the management team at Peacock, but for whatever reason, she either doesn't have the stroke she needs to make better programming, or they just aren't listening to her enough. Because her resume, there was a time where I thought she was the most competent executive in television, no exaggeration. There was definitely a generation when USA Network programming could do no wrong whatsoever. And I mean, you know, with Psych and Monk alone, that's two really good, feel-good shows that ran for years and years and always made people happy
1: oh yeah and how do i forget things like you know burn notice mr robot uh suits yeah, those were just yeah yeah iconic iconic shows that just you immediately thought of when you when you thought of of, of usa um, and now
2: the best thing they can do on peacock is a gritty bell air <laughs> the, <reboot. laughs> the gritty reboot yes <laughs> and saved by the bell and i guess girls five Eva. it's just it is stunning how the same people are still around and yet they they just don't have it anymore.
1: Yep, so that's all the excitement in the ratings this week. Not really sure what there is to look forward to. I'm sure there's something big coming that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, but we may be entering a uh, pretty dry spell till, maybe until we get those new episodes of Ozark in the ratings at the end of the month, but we'll, we'll see.
0: In our green lights and cancellations this week at Netflix, the That 70s Show sequel, That 90s Show, has added original cast members Topher Grace, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Laura Prepon, and Vilmer Valderrama. Kim,
2: why is this one of the funniest things ever?
0: (laughs) Because of the fight between the aforementioned Jed Apatow and the creator of this show, whose name I don't even know. But Jed basically said, "I look forward to that '90s show many, many years ago." And whenever I see this, I always think of his line, (laughs) "Jacques." Gee, I
1: wonder who's missing from that original cast.
0: Oh, who could be missing? Who could be? Mm-hmm. Oh, the. Hmm. Yeah. And why would they be missing? Hmm. Why would they
3: missing? Yeah. Eek. For what it's worth, this is not a bad flex. I think most of these actors are perfectly well-established in their careers. The irony here, of course, being Topher Grace, who was the star of that 70s show, is the one who left the show for his movie acting career and is the one now who could probably best benefit from a, uh, uh, f- from a comeback. Uh, yeah. The rest of them, I mean...
0: They're all doing well, yeah.
3: Yeah, Mila Kunis of all things is probably oh, the yeah. most successful successful of them all and yet and yet she's shut up Meg on Family Guy every week
2: so she clearly will will show up in anything if you ask her. Over- <laughs> Valderrama is actually the guy on NCIS now. Yeah, he is. Yeah, The only show that still matters on network television legitimately. So, I mean, it is stunning. But just if you don't know what we're talking about, do a search for Judd Apatow 2001 email jacuse and it'll pull up. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing that he was mocking this person's lack of talent and creativity in 2001. And in 2022, that person has just given up to the point where they're leaning into it and going, yeah, you know what? That is a money making idea.
3: And these are probably all going to be cameos. The premise of the show remains that Red and Kitty will be taking in their grandchild for the summer. But fans of the show and I mean, the show lasted a good long time. There's fans. Mm-hmm. Fans of the show will be happy to see the original cast return.
0: Oh, sure. And with the original programming on TBS and Turmoil, the creators of Cobra Kai are bringing their series, Obliterated, to Netflix.
3: Yeah, this show was in the works at TBS, but now that everything's up in the air over there, and of course, the creators of Cobra Kai have had a lot of success on Netflix. With this show already, uh, presumably in pre-production, this made a whole lot of sense.
2: This also seems like a good time to mention that we're going to notice a lot of this moving forward because Netflix has cut down its programming and TBS and TNT have ended their programming. We're going to see this sort of filtering where an idea starts one place and then has to scramble to go other places. And in this case, Netflix already had a working relationship. And so they found the budget for it. But we've probably reached the end of the gravy train for content creation where any streaming service was a viable option for buying things.
0: Amazon Freebie is delivered. No, no we don't call it that. <laughs> well, that's what it's called now. Amazon <laughs> Freebie is delivering on their threat to bring more original programming (laughs) to the streaming service. Bosch Legacy has been renewed for a second season. Modern Families' Sarah Hyland will be hosting a family competition show called Play-Doh Squished. A Post Malone music documentary is in the works. PBS stalwart America's Test Kitchen will be hosting a competition show called The Next Generation. An American show based on the BBC award-winning anthology Inside Number 9 will debut. Beyond Black Beauty will be one of their shows about an Olympic hopeful equestrian whose family moves from Belgium to Baltimore. And finally, there will be a home makeover show called Hollywood Houselift with Jeff Lewis. And now I'm going to breathe.
2: I'm guessing that all those shows in combination cost less than one episode of House of Dragons. That's a safe
0: bet. Over at Disney Plus, that streamer is bringing Christopher Eccleston and Daisy Ridley together for the movie Young Women and the Sea. And there's sad news for the dozens and dozens of fans of Saved by the Bell out there. The second season of the reboot is the last for this show. And Peacock subscriptions fell 50%. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And David and I saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness last night. And as a forever Sam Raimi fan, I actually saw Evil Dead on VHS maybe a year after its original release. This movie hit every note for me. I recognized all the little Sam Raimi touches from camera angles and techniques to, well, some real evocations of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange in the same way that Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I can't imagine anyone else playing them as effectively as these two gentlemen have. And there are many surprises in the film. It's not necessarily the way I expected the movie to follow up WandaVision, but it certainly does work as a successor to that series also Peter Gabriel collaborated on a new song with Arcade Fire that came out today called Unconditional 2 Race and Religion that I fell in love with on first listen as I do everything that he does Raul
3: how about you I'm chasing Star Trek Picard and Halo to the bottom of the barrel on Paramount+. And so rather than discuss either of those shows where I think right now Star Trek Picard is somehow magically in the lead, no, 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 we're going to move on. And instead, uh, I'm going to mention that I have been watching and enjoying Canadian, or as NBC News likes to call her, Canadian lesbian, Matea Roach, winning on Jeopardy. (laughs) She is delightfully quirky. Her winning streak is all the more entertaining because she doesn't always run away with the lead. One game, she may be the only contestant to make it to Final Jeopardy. And another game, she doesn't even have the lead in Final Jeopardy. And her dynamic with host Ken Jennings is just fun to watch. You can tell he's enjoying having her on the show. It's a dynamic that she really doesn't have with the other host, Mayim Bialik, which just makes me more steadfast in my belief that Ken Jennings needs to become the permanent host of Jeopardy. I don't know how much longer Matea Roach is going to continue being the champion on Jeopardy for all I know she's gonna lose tonight although fingers crossed maybe she's gonna be on for several more weeks and that would be fantastic but I'm enjoying the time I've had with her she's just so much fun and she really makes watching Jeopardy a delight
1: yeah I I don't always get to watch Jeopardy but I've come across a couple of her games and yeah, she is, I I can see why some people don't like her, but she is a lot of fun to watch. And she's also probably the first Jeopardy contestant who makes me feel horribly, horribly old because she's only like 23. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, yeah, but she's, yeah, but she's awesome. And yeah, between her and Amy, women are just absolutely crushing it on Jeopardy this year and that because that's always good to see.
0: Yep. Okay. Besides Jeopardy, Tim, what's been keeping you occupied uh
1: i'm just gonna talk about mystery science Theater 2000 again because you know they're putting out new episodes every couple of weeks the third episode and the final episode of the quote soft launch of the Gizmoplex was was last week and it was a movie called beyond atlantis starring patrick wayne and sid Haig, and it was absolutely insane but it was also important because it was the debut of the new cast starring new host emily connor played by emily marsh and new voices for for the bots uh they were the the team that also did the the live shows that i you know the the one that i saw in the fall and the one they did prior to the pandemic and it was it was a great episode it was definitely uh stronger than the the first two which featured jonah ray which were which were also good so i'm super excited to see the rest of their episodes uh throughout the season which are going to come out every couple weeks and now the Plex is actually open to the public this was you know the previews were for people who backed the Kickstarter last year, which is also pretty impressive and actually sooner than I thought that less than actually, I think it was around a year after the, the Kickstarter we're finally getting the episodes and, and they're launching this streaming service. That's not really a streaming service, but yeah, it it, it is a streaming service despite what Joel and um, the other, the others say, but I'm really looking forward to what they're, what they're going to do the rest of the season. They uh, cleverly came up with the explanation as to why there are, to test subjects with their own sets of uh, of robots, I'm eager to see how they work. Joel in for a couple episodes, and you know they've already shown the finale is going to be a Christmas movie starring all three human human hosts, and uh, which is going to be a, a delight. So every I think the next new episode is actually not until the end of the month. They are launching the Gizmoplex with official releases of the the first three episodes, which will be including final cuts, quote unquote, because they didn't have credits and they claim there's going to be maybe an, an edit or two here and there but they were they were a lot of fun uh it's gizmoplex.com there you do have to have a subscription to watch those if you didn't back the kickstarter but they are also giving if you just sign up for free you can watch every available old episode they legally have the rights to to show which is like 150 or so of the original comedy central sci-fi shows so yeah i won't shut up about this this show but you'll you'll hear about it again when the end of the month when the next movie premieres which is apparently the one that broke them so I, i'm looking forward to uh that movie called Munchie.
3: Tim, are we really concerned about the continuity of the cast in Mystery Science Theater?
1: Uh I know it's just a show and you should really just relax, but I I did <laughs> I I did like how they incorporated it in how they're being being multiple subjects i i i i do trust them to come up with a yeah i do like that there's a narrative they've also hinted that it's culminating towards things going to be happening over multiple episodes that probably explains why it's all three people at the end the final episode but yeah i care so there
2: okay (laughs) friends find someone who loves you the way that tim loves mst3k It,
1: it is A very, very important show to my upbringing. Let's just leave it at that. So. you don't like it, get your own
0: podcast. There you go. (laughs) David, what's been keeping you busy?
2: Well, I agree with Kim all around on Multiverse of Madness. I was a little disappointed there weren't more Lovecraftian elements, but in their place, we got Sam Raimi, Evil Dead elements, and that's pretty good trade. Uh, (laughs) It's going to prove divisive, I think, just because of the fact that if you're not familiar with Sam Raimi, and a lot of people in this generation are not there's going to be some stuff here that doesn't make sense to you it is a shockingly authentic adaptation of previous material of his i mean that's a crazy thing to say but he knows what his tropes are what his best bits are and they come back into play here i mean that's that's a real thing that happens the the choice of the villain here is also upsetting to some people, I feel like... Kim, we had this conversation on the way home last night. This isn't the WandaVision sequel you would have expected. What, what was it Sam Raimi said?
0: Yes, he didn't necessarily give people the sequel that they expected, but it was probably the one that people needed. And, and
2: that is a, a bold choice. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about it long term. It kind of depends on what comes next, which is also what I would have said about WandaVision, but WandaVision holds a dear place in my heart. And I give the film an A, and I think I'm going to rewatch it a lot. There are some legitimate, spectacular moments in this film, and there's just so much that happens. I kind of feel like they're getting glossed over a bit because there's other stuff going on. But, I mean, it is just high point after high point at several times. And the other thing I want to say is that Better Call Saul is heading to a finish. And the start of this season, oh, my goodness, Cam, we're just watching with our mouths agape, aren't we? (laughs)
0: Yeah, all the time. I I love the cast of the show. And I love the directorial decisions that are made in every episode. (laughs) The way that they tell a story and have told stories going back to Breaking Bad and really even before that, if we want to go back to X-Files and other things that Gilligan has been involved in, it just blows me away.
2: So yeah, if if you're not caught up to live TV on Better Call Saul, you need to do so right now. It legitimately is the best thing across all storytelling formats at the moment. I'm, I'm just head over heels in love with all aspects of it.
0: Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.